0: thank you again that uh, at any moment we can just turn our eye we can look to heaven we can bow our head in prayer we can think in our mind and pray to you we can speak out loud and you always hear us and you're always with us and that you never leave us or forsake us someone in our life may and is trying to do that someone who has died did that till they died but you're the only one who never leaves us or forsakes us, not even for the moment or through a tough moment. Thank you, Lord. Would you enlighten us today in your word and guide us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, so verses 12 through 15, as Bill finished on those verses last week, Peter tells us, that he knows he's going to put off his tent just by way of a little introduction and review, which is booth or tabernacle, a lean-to or a, a, a tent, a tabernacle. We'd call it a tent today. That's what he called his body. And it just reminded me so much of the guy who went to his psychiatrist and said, I just keep having this dream, this reoccurring dream over and over again. One minute I'm a teepee, and the next minute I'm a wigwam. I'm a teepee, and I'm a wigwam. I'm a teepee, and I'm a wigwam. What's going on? The doctor says, it's obvious you're just too tense. Too. Some of you were groaning as soon as I began because you knew what was coming, because it's an old joke. And some of you, some of you don't get out much. But we're here to fix that for you. We got you out today. Okay. All right. Just so you get it. Peter reminds us. I couldn't resist. Peter reminds us he's not negligent to, to, to remind us of the value of diligence to build up our faith that leads us to love. We really do want to grow spiritually and not just know what God does and know how to quote Bible verses, in fact, there's more, and in Psalm 103:7, I think we have it up for you. Talking about Moses and Israel, it says he made his ways known to Moses, and his acts to the children of Israel. Very powerful verse because he made his ways known to Moses. The way, the word there is journey, manner, habit, or in other words, the why God does what He does the who he is in relationship to you in what he does. But for Israel, for the congregation generally, and it doesn't need to be that way here, we're not me, Moses, and you, them. We're all learning from them together. For the acts, he showed his acts, his actions, his deeds to the children of Israel. In other words, if you follow their story, what they wanted was results, You need to know something coming to this church. We are very, I think we're the hottest thing in the world, but I'm blessed to be here with you because you are, to me, amazing. We are not, if we're here every week to meet everybody's felt need and make sure everybody gets a pep talk and everybody, and encouragement is really important, but if, if we're here just to have God do what you and I want him to do, find another church but you won't (laughs) because he won't be there that's not who he is just to do what we want he's not our genie they wanted results generally and they were generally not interested in really hearing from him and knowing him it was what are you going to do for me today does that sound like a right way to look to god What are you going to do for me today? Now, some people are in pain, and they're crying out to God, Will you do something for me today? That's different. Nonetheless, you still need to hear this. He showed Moses his ways, the who he is, the why he does what he does, the relationship. Israel, for the most part, all those people, that first generation, just got to see what he did, and it didn't change them. So, Peter is not negligent of the real purpose, but the question that came to Peter also comes to you and me, because people say to him, and they say to you and me, how can you guys be so sure of your faith? Verses 16 through 18, as we pick it up, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory with such a voice that came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Yes, I don't know where 16 ends. Uh, No, 16 to 18, I was correct. Okay, I thought I went too far, but... We didn't follow cunningly devised fables. The word for cunningly, sophisto, sounds like we get the word sophisticated from that. Sophisticated. Are you a sophisticated person? Are you too smart for God's word? We didn't follow sophisticated fables, mythos, myths. Bill taught us a few weeks ago, it was incredibly wonderful, about, about many of the Greek world being full of demigods, half God, half man, the mythology that was everywhere in the world around us. Remember that, some of you? And back in First Peter, or was it at the end of Acts? How long ago was that? It was, it was Peter. So, um, you know, the, the, the fables that were going on, Peter, They were everywhere. And Peter says, we were with him for three and a half years. I was in the inner circle with James and John. We saw many, many miracles and none more important than what he's telling us about here on the mount that we'll get to. There was a multiplicity. Sounds cool. There was a multiplicity of testimony, a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word that they delivered to us. But you go, but Luke, you weren't there. Yeah, but he talked to eyewitnesses. And then some of them them that he talked to were not eyewitnesses. They were people who were directly connected to the eyewitnesses. Do you know that? And so people would say, well, that's like third person, like, you know, the, what's the game, uh, telephone game? Yeah. Luke carefully interviewed eyewitnesses and those who heard the eyewitnesses. And do you know that almost all history that we have from ancient times is accepted as factual that came first from oral tradition? Oral tradition across the World, remember uh, Roots. The you know, some of you this is like way before, not the root restaurant. You know the beer restaurant Roots. The story of the you know Alex Haley may have fibbed some on who he was in the history, but the story he told was accurate. People talked. That people had to talk. They sat around fires. They sat around porches. They sat around dirt huts through history and they'd say you came from this father from this father and mother from this time when the year of the flood your you know uncle lou was born and on down and they go back and they set it in an organized manner all across the world people passed oral traditions that then formed into writing it is not like the Bible is made up of people just talking, whatever, and just writing stuff down. There's more to the story that I want to tell you for a minute. It's the most accepted factual tradition in history. Multiplied methods exist to confirm the Bible, and Paul says in one Corinthians 15, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received in the gospel, and and he goes on to say that Jesus Peter Jesus Jesus appeared to Peter after the resurrection. Maybe that's a little even more than the Mount of Transfiguration. And then he was seen by the 12, and after that, by 500 brethren at once. And most of them, Paul says, are still alive. So if you wanted to tell a lie right now and get everyone to believe you, would you talk about a story where there was all these people that are alive that were there and, and call that into account Knowing that a bunch of those people would stand up and say, I was there and I never saw nothing like you're talking about. Where you could, people could go, say, where was this again? It was downtown on 4th Street, you know. And these, all these people were there. Who's some of these people? Oh, let me go talk to these people. Paul had absolutely no fear of saying, no, no fear of scrutiny for saying, there are 500 witnesses and most of them are still alive right now. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Any history that's used compared to the Bible, using the same means of historic accuracy tests for any ancient document, it would be like you had a document this thick and then you had 24,000 over here. And this is the most recent other than the Bible. 600 years after it was written, one copy of Homer's Iliad, make that Iliad. How do we trust that Iliad? You won't see that when you go to college. They won't. They'll say, "No, we're pretty sure that the copies were passed down. They have this background information, blah blah blah." One copy. The Bible, twenty four thousand plus pieces of documentation, within two hundred and fifty years, not six hundred years. So not only the portions of Scripture that are so numerous in the thousands, but the first and second century writers who would quote from all the books that we have here, proving the authenticity of their not "We know it's real that it's everything's true in here." He recorded what was believed, was accurately recorded the information that we have to look at to decide whether we actually believe in Jesus. 24,000 times more than any other book in history. What book comes under group of books, the 66 books of the Bible? What comes under scrutiny? What is the one that people want to reject and say there's no way it's accurate? How could you have it accurate? It's, well, Genesis, but the entire Bible. The Bible is the book that is rejected. It's the book that has the most accuracy of any ancient document, and people try to pick holes in it. I wonder why. By the way, this is a wonderful little uh, pamphlet. I've had it forever, and I just bought 15. There's 14 over there on this one. They're, if you can afford it, they're four bucks each. If you want one, it will tell you the information that's too hard to explain in a Bible study. Lots of wonderful information, and it's done in a really nice way from Dr. Timothy. Uh, Doctor, I got it on my notes. Timothy Paul Jones, which doesn't, he's an accurate uh, historian and theologian. And you can take a copy from over there and you can put four bucks in the the kitty if you want to. If you can't afford it, just take the copy. Those of you that would like to study more on that, you can do it with that. And I didn't refer you to a website because this doesn't come, this particular one in a website, but you can find this information. Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict and on and on and on. It's not like we're sitting here twirling our thumbs and we have nothing to say about that. Will it convince people? Not necessarily. Probably wouldn't have convinced me when I was blind and when I was in rebellion to God. But once God was cracking my heart open, it might have reached me, and I could no longer use the excuse, well, how can you trust the Bible? It's not really. a fair thing to say. So we didn't follow cleverly, devised fables yeah Peter's eyewitness account I was on the mount with Jesus the mount of transfiguration not not what we think of trans today but he was metamorphosized his not just his appearance but it was like a revelation of his real self and we heard saw him with Moses and Elijah and we heard a voice Uh, In the mouth of two or three words, let every word be established. But faith is passed on not just by those experiences and those testimonies, but God's word, Peter says, is most certain. It's far more certain. Verse 19, and we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. We have a prophetic word confirmed, meaning the scriptures, which you do well to take heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter has a powerful testimony It's a kind of stronger testimony than anybody I've ever met on this planet in my life. I had my tires blow. You know, are you going to make my tires blow because I don't believe in Jesus? Pop! My tire blew. After I got the spare tire on, driving, that was just a coincidence. Pop! The spare tire pops. I never go to people and say, here's my story. You have to believe in Jesus because of my story. Now, I have to believe in Jesus because my story. (laughs) I didn't right away. I still resisted until God broke through my hard, hard, rebellious heart. I'm no better than anybody who's in rebellion today. That was me. I'm no better than any person I would talk to directly and tell them you really need Jesus. Get off your high horse and your self-righteousness and your thought that you know enough. I'm absolutely zero better than them. And I didn't come just because of that but it was part of God's cracking open of my shell, of my heart. And I can tell people my story. It's just a small part of it. It's a big part of the small part of it. But I don't demand that people believe in Jesus because of my story. Yes, our testimony can't be argued with. That's all true. But that is not the ultimate testimony. The ultimate testimony is God's word that has come true through history. And, and Peter gives testimony of the event, but then he says there's no private interpretation or information that separates him from us. He calls himself earlier a brother, an elder with you, other elders, a bondservant of Jesus, as we heard last week. Everyone can know that it's true because it's the inspired word of God. And he inspired holy men, just as we believe. Now, I heard this just the other day, and I went, well, let's throw it out here. It makes sense to me. If you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus, that he is 100% God, because God sent him, and He's of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus came as a baby in Bethlehem. Jesus is 100% man and God. I kind of messed that up. 100% God, 100% man, right? He's both. We don't understand it because God's bigger than we are, how he could be totally God and also be totally man. But in the same way, without believing that, you really miss who Jesus is. He's also God's word. God's word is 100%, the Bible in its original form, is exactly the word of god i don't mean that this isn't i mean that little minor details that people point out where there was a change are so minor it's like when uh, instead of the you don't rail on everything they said and say everything you said was stupid and doesn't matter you just go oh you meant the so sometimes in the writing there was little one letter taken off and had to you know dipping in ink with quills and they didn't have these kind of lights and and, and this, all, when they talk about the thousands upon thousands of discrepancies in the Bible, it's never about the teaching and the instruction and the clarity, it's about those little teeny things in translations. So, in the scriptures, well, you say this is God's word, but men wrote it. You're right, the Bible is 100% Written by men. Did you know that? 100%. God never, even the Ten Commandments when God wrote, when it came onto paper or papyrus, it wasn't God using his own hand. This is 100% written by men. We agree with that. We accept that. It's 100% written by God through those men. God is capable of doing that, and he has proven his word more certain Faith is passed on through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, we prayed it this morning, and hearing by the word of God. So uh, everyone can know to take heed and let Jesus enlighten us like he is the morning star. There's three elements of your and my enlightening. I'm using that word enlightenment and enlightening, meaning the light turns on for you. We're not going into meditation, transcendental, or any of that. Okay, number one, there's the revelation of God. God reveals himself through not only nature, but his plan. He told us his plan. And we can know by the inspiration of the holy scriptures, meaning the scriptures are uniquely inspired. When you say, somebody says, oh, you drew a picture or you, you redid your garden and your yard and you designed this whole beautiful garden. Man, you were really inspired. Or, yes, I felt really inspired. Or a Christian writes a song. You know, tell, tell you, check your shame at the door. It's not welcome anymore. I love that. Inspired. That is not the same thing. Any inspiration of any human is another level, and it's lower. It's qu- you can question it. Somebody doesn't like that song. And says that song's not inspired. That song drives me crazy. Mark, is it you? Okay, <laughs> but uh, but anyway. So so so. But inspiration of the scriptures means God fully and uniquely inspired those writers and we trust in his inspiration. Uh, Those things, God's revelation and God's inspiration of his scriptures are true whether I was ever born or not, let alone whether I feel inspired by it. Are you with me? Those things are true whether I ever existed. God does not exist for me. I exist for him. This isn't dependent on my personality or my faith. This is who he is and what he does, period. But number three, not just revelation, number one, not just the inspiration of Scripture, number two, but number three is illumination for me. And these are words that are in the texts in different places, but to be illuminated, to, to, and, and the word revelation can come in there saying, I had my own personal revelation, that's fine. But the, the real point is that what was a revelation of God, the revelation of God, now became real to you. The light turned on for you. When the light turns on in you and for you personally, the revelation of the inspired word is received by you, and you are born again of the Spirit. Are you born again? Have you been born of the Spirit? Has the light truly turned on? Somebody said to me, they've been here not very long, and they said, I haven't heard, I haven't heard you guys say born again. Do you believe in being born again? <laughs> and I went, wow, we must be, you might not have been here the week. You know, we don't say it every week. We don't like to have a set of words. We say, you must be born again. That's what Jesus said in John chapter three. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, he said to Nicodemus and to everyone in this room and listening online and across the world, you must be born again. You must be born of the spirit. The light has to turn on in you and you have to receive the forgiveness and cleansing of the blood of Jesus by personally confessing your sins, repenting means turning the other direction, turning around. You're not saved, you're not connected, you're not inspired by, you're not born of the Bible. Well, I read the Bible so I'm born of the Bible, the one who inspired the scriptures. We're not born of church attendance. Well, I go to church. Isn't that good? I mean, I go to church. Yeah, it's good if you go to church to hear from God, be with his people. But You're not born of the church in that sense, certainly of attendance. Or family connection. Well, all my family are Christian. Doesn't matter. Are you born of the Spirit personally? Not necessarily having a tingly feeling or even hearing a voice out loud from heaven. I don't know that I've ever had that. I've had him speak so clearly to me, it didn't matter that I couldn't hear it audibly. But do you truly believe in Jesus has your life been changed and you've turned to a new direction from darkness to light? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So for our faith to grow as newborn babes, Jesus in First Peter said, as newborn babes desire to grow by the milk of the word. Yeah, grow into the use of the solid food, meaning obedience and growing in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. When you see a 10-month-old to a 2-year-old little child, you know, usually their head, is the biggest part, right? Their head is bigger than their body and our kids, our both our kids had like the head. They were like just a head. They were Mike Wazowski. <laughs> you know, they were just Beth. We were so kind as parents. She's a beautiful girl, but she looked like Uncle Fester off of the Munsters or the Adams family. See you watched it. So so anyway and, and Gail took Gail took her to Doctor Aquino, our Filipino wonderful doctor, a lady Doctor Aquino. And Beth is about two, eighteen months, and she's got bruises on her when we get there and Gail's saying I don't know. She might turn us in for child abuse. Look at Beth. She looks like she's been beaten. So while we're there, if Gail took her hands or I took her hands off of her, Beth would go in the garbage can. Beth would fall over off of a table. Well, and Mrs. Aquino said, "Oh, Mrs. Cohen, is she always like this?" And Gail said, "Yeah, she is." She goes, "Oh, I see." And what went, <laughs> she, oh, good. She's not going to turn me in for child abuse. Because, because. and what's the point of that story? I just wanted to tell, talk about my daughter. No. This is how you grow. You start to learn to stand up and hold on to something. And what do they do? You <gasps> walk. And then they start to walk, and they take three steps, and everybody's going, oh, look, he's walked. Crash. Your job's to keep pointed edges away from them when they do it not to keep them from ever falling down. So every believer who grows is exercised by the word of God in order for our faith to be built. Every single believer, if they're going to grow, if you're going to grow in Jesus Christ, you are going to need to be exercised by his word. And how that works is the same for everybody. You know, you will hear or read the word of God, and it'll be a section that makes no sense to you. Or it's contrary to your emotion at the moment or the desire that you have that is burning within you. Are you listening to me? How you grow is you will read or hear something from the scripture that's clear, but you don't get it and you don't like it and it bothers you. Welcome to the club. People say, <laughs> uh, it, it won't be, you won't like it or believe it naturally, but if you ask God to make it real to you in your life and you seek to obey him, meaning you take that step of faith where you haven't been, your faith in God's word will grow and your relationship with him will grow. I didn't get this to Tom, but on John 7, 17, Jesus says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I'm just speaking on my own. All you got to do is test me, Jesus says, but you're going to have to go past where you are and decide you're going to do what God says before you feel warm and gooey inside. Your feelings have deceived you how many times in your life? Your feelings have caused you pain how many times in your life? And yet we say, well, if I just don't feel it, are you kidding me? You trust your feelings that much? I don't. Some people say, I tried it, and it didn't work for me. Me too. I tried this, and it didn't work for me. What are you doing up there, Rick? I tried this looking for, even demanding my own expectation, my own expectation, my own expectation of how God was going to answer my prayer and be with me and help me and make his word come true. My own expectation, what I expected God to do. Guess what? I ended up frustrated. Am I alone here? I think not. Very frustrated. At times, I was not looking to grow in trusting him, but to see tangible results according to my expectation. And he didn't come through. <laughs> I couldn't grasp the verses that told me the truth that I did not want to hear. I was intent on the results that me. I could be just babbling here, I'm thinking no, okay? I couldn't grasp the verses that clearly told me the truth. I did not really want to hear. I was intent on results that I felt were right. God didn't give in to me. But he also didn't give up on me. God didn't give in to me. Well, Rick, I don't want to offend Rick. I really need Rick to believe in me. What am I going to do if Rick doesn't believe? It'll all fall apart. He needs exactly what he said he needs, and I better do what Rick says he needs. And for him to believe in me and trust me. Imagine God being that way. He'd be bouncing between all of us trying to keep up with all our, what, our perceived sense of what we really need for him to show that he's really real. God didn't give in to me. But thank God he didn't give up on me. And he's not giving up on you. I tried it and it doesn't work. Some people are like, I tried it and it doesn't work. I can't stop going to church. My family will be mad at me. I'll feel really more guilty. I'll just go to church and I'll do some Christian stuff a little bit and I'll just try to stay under the radar and hope that someday something works differently and I'll just live a frustrated Christian life. And that's not God's intention for you. It is not what he has for you. So our job, sometimes pastors, leaders, friends of yours, is not to try to couch everything so carefully that you don't get frustrated. Whoever it is I'm talking to, you came in here frustrated spiritually. And you didn't want to, yeah, yeah, I've got to listen to another one of these long, whatever Bible studies. God hasn't given up on you. If he leads you somewhere else and it's better for you, praise God, we love you. But wherever he leads you, he's going to open your heart to a better understanding. It's not going to be an outside source that's going to change you. It's not going to be a new environment, better lighting, better music, better preachers. That's really not the answer for the frustrated Christian submission, Lord, I don't even know what you want, but I know that I need to let you do what you want in my life and let you be God. Make that real to me, and I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to take this seriously that this has to change in my life, but I'm going to also let you make that change. Chapter 2, 1 through 3. But there were also false prophets among the people. So Peter gives us this great picture about being on the mount and God speaking and the scripture being inspired by, by God. But there were false prophets among the people. Even there was, will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Even, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Man, so even while holy men of God were being moved by the Holy Spirit, giving true instruction and prophetic words, there's false prophets mixed in, bringing in false and private interpretations of the word, and there's more to come after those, and they're here today still. Did Jesus say anything about this? Beware of wolves in what kind of clothing? So, you, so are you amazed that there's wolves in sheep's clothing? jesus said beware of wolves and sheep's clothing should we sit here and say we never want to say anything about anything that anybody else does because we want to be very positive when wolves are chewing people up and spitting them out and taking on their money and their dignity did the apostles tell us about this every single one of them that wrote in the new testament should we be should we know this and be on guard you know, it's not a scripture, but it's a motto that works for this. Satan's motto is: if you can't beat them, join them. Join the church. I'm not saying Satan's one of you out there. <laughs> Satan will try to connect to the church, and we are called to discern doctrine and teaching. Is it in? Con- We're not going to do a long thing on this right now. Maybe Tom, who will be teaching next week, will want to pick this up, or or myself or Bill later, but. I'll just be brief, uh, you know, is the, there's doctrine, there's teaching, instruction, is it in context, is just a verse pulled out to made to say whatever the guy wants to say and makes you feel good like it's your day that this is going to happen and it's an Old Testament verse that applies to the people of Israel and is not even relevant to what you are in right now, that can happen. Is it clearly stated by Jesus, consistent with Jesus and his character? Is it exemplified in the New Testament through the other authors in the book of Acts and the letters? Is there instruction to the church on it? If you want solid ground, you have all that together rather than just hearing somebody talk about something that gives you goosebumps. If Satan, the hard part about deception is it always has an element of truth. Because if they would said things that were totally wrong, people would understand right away that's so off the wall. You know, everyone would know immediately, but Satan, like himself, they take part of the truth and add to it or diminish it and make doctrines that do a couple of these things. I'll be quick. Number one, make man the center of the theology. Make man you can create. You can be like God. Is that true? There is truth in there. You do have power in your life, the power of the Holy Spirit. God made you a creative person, that's still true. But then you can get what you want. All you got to do is say it. Now they've taken gone down this whole road that's totally not biblical. So they take some truth and then it's all about you and how much your faith and all you need is to you are you are the center of the universe and God's working through you. Well, do I believe God's working through you? A hundred percent. But you can tell the difference there. You should be able to. And if you need help, talk to us. Number two. Not only did they make man the center of their theology, but they diminished Jesus as God in the flesh, is a big one, denying the Lord who bought them. Eventually, people do that. They move away. Where did Rob Bell go? Just if you don't know who he is, he was on the top of the youth movement of Christianity, and his videos were cool, and then he continuously moved away from the gospel. And you don't need Jesus. Number three, make us dependent on their teaching and their authority in my life. I have the authority of the Word of God to speak to you, to the and it's there for you if I'm doing it right. Discern if I'm telling you the truth. And you get to go from here and say, I'm never going back to ACF, and you can still be a Christian, and you can find another church to go to if you want to. I'm not trying to get rid of people. <laughs> Our parking lot is not overfull. <laughs> We have room for you. I am saying our goal here is not to force you to sit under our authority and leadership. Our goal is for you to sit under Jesus' authority and leadership. And there is no human that comes between you and him in the sense of being your mediator. There's no priest and there's no pastor who is the mediator between you and God. And our job isn't to tell you every detail of what decisions before him. And our, go- our job to each other is to be honest with each other when we see a problem happening and somebody's stumbling. Because even if you're not two years old and still have a big head and small feet, if we see you going towards the corner, we see you going towards the corner of a, of a, of a end table and you're stumbling towards it, we have a responsibility to grab you and say, wait, I'm not forcibly force you, but hey, bro, hey, sister, you're headed for a destruction right there. You're going to get hurt. And you you need to see this. I know that's not very Western American culture. It's where's my spot in church and how do I get out of here quick and go do what I do and nobody bothers me. But you probably wouldn't be in a church like this if you that's what you want because we're probably going to bother you a little bit. Not overwhelming. And I don't want anybody to overwhelm people. But I also would never tell you that if you see someone stumbling that you don't have a responsibility to care about them enough to tell them the truth. And if they get mad at you, you're big enough to have somebody be mad at you because you care about them. So Peter says, we don't have secret knowledge. We heard the voice from God say, this is my beloved son, hear him. And as we end today, and we're going to end and have communion, I want you to really regroup with me here for your own sake with Moses and Elijah. And it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in Luke. The story of the transfiguration and in Luke, we find that, that he appeared. I'm going I'm to prove to you that I'm going to be brief. Throwing that away. <laughs> it's got notes on it. I know what I want to say. In Luke chapter 9, it says that Jesus they were sleeping <laughs> peter james and john and suddenly peter is G- jesus is transfigured his he's glowing but it's not just a glow of lighthood almost like superman but way beyond this and i'm sorry for using such a lame one superman pulling back his shirt as he goes into the phone booth and you see the big s and and you know that the real the real it's clark kent but he's really superman are you with me okay jesus it's like that times Infinite. And he's emanating his glory, the real Jesus. He has fulfilled every obedient act in proving that a man, 100% man, but he's also 100% God, can live on this earth sinless by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a whole Bible study. But he's proven it. He could have just ascended right then, which would say, I showed you how to live, have fun, bye. And they would sit there and go, Well, I keep pulling my shirt back and I just see the, the coffee and ketchup stains on my T-shirt. I don't see no big S here because I can't do what you did. No, they couldn't. They couldn't even stand by him. They couldn't stand with him when the leaders came to take him prisoner. They ran. That was their super. That was their glory. They needed the Holy Spirit to baptize them, to empower them to come into their lives. And that would only happen if Jesus did what he talks about next with Moses and Elijah and appear with him. It's not just God randomly picked, I need two prophets. I need two guys from the Old Testament. Give me somebody flashy. I need Moses, the law. Moses, the law. Moses is the law. Are you with me? Elijah. Representation of the prophets, the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets are standing with Jesus and they're discussing his death that he will now accomplish in Jerusalem, Luke chapter nine. Jesus has fulfilled the law and the prophets. Do you see that picture I'm pointing at? The handwriting of ordinances that were written against us are nailed to his cross. The law and the prophets and all the judgment and condemnation of our failure to keep that we couldn't do, that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, Jesus said. That you can't just not commit adultery, but if you look at a person to lust after them, you've committed it. You can't just not kill somebody, but if you've hated them in your heart, you're a murderer. We're doomed by trying to fulfill the law and be good people. We are doomed by that. We can't do it. We are freed by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, by the shedding of his blood. And when we take communion, when we take communion, we are saying, "Not I know God's going to answer my prayer today about my healing, or my child, or my job, or my whatever, because he loves me, and this is the only way he'll prove to me he loves me. He's got to do this in order for me to trust him. You'll be a very frustrated Christian, and maybe you'll give up altogether, because he's not, he might do that. That's why we prayed for healing. But he's not going to give in to you when he wants you to The only thing that costs God was the life of his son, himself in Christ reconciling you to himself. And in communion, don't take communion if you don't believe it. We're not judging you. But take communion if you believe it and receive the body and blood of Jesus. Because we wait not knowing what prayers he's going to answer the way we want. But we are certain, we are certain he is coming. We are certain that He will wipe every tear from our eyes and make all things new. We are certain that it will, it will happen. And worms and the dark nights we wait. And if anyone chooses to do the will of God, he'll find out whether Jesus' teaching comes from God or whether he speaks on his own. Because we always know it might be today. It might be today. But even if it's not today, we can say this prayer knowing it'll come true. Come, Lord Jesus, because that prayer is going to be answered. And when it's answered, it will be answered forever. Musicians, come on up. Let's have the lights down in that cool new position. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's just us